All right, hey, open your Bibles, please, to the Word of God, uh, John chapter 10, um, and I will remind you that we started in chapter 1, verse 1, and um, we pick up our story in chapter 10, verse 30. Uh, We'll go through verse 42 together today. This is God's Word, Jesus speaking. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, about six months ago or so, uh, I bought a pair of shoes on on eBay, a pair of shoes, uh, and they were Yeezys. Does anybody know what Yeezys are? Anybody own a pair of Yeezys in this room? Oh, nice. Well, those are, the sh- those are the sneakers that people kill each other over. So people, if you wear them in the wrong neighborhood, people are like, hey, I like your shoes. Bang. Now I own your shoes, you know. But these are Yeezys. They're Kanye's shoes. They're Yeezy. Uh, what's the full name? Yeezy Boost 350 Splay V2 in Zebra. I think that's it. Pretty sure. Anyway, so I decided I was going to buy some Kanye West shoes, which I did, and and you know what? They're super comfortable, and I've even worn them through the airport, and I got in conversation with some sneakerhead kid from Asia who has a bunch of cool shoes. He was like, oh, we started talking about sneakers, and it was kind of cool. But anyway, before you go out and buy some Yeezys, uh, you have to get an education, like a deep education, as to what constitutes a fake pair of Yeezys, because they're all over the place, and there are all kinds of tutorials online, and so I watched a whole bunch of those, and I would say that I'm pretty much an expert in spotting counterfeit uh, Kanye West shoes. All to say, you have to ask yourself, yeah, it looks real, but is it real? It might look real, but is it verifiable? Um, It makes a claim about itself. I'm a Yeezy, but uh, you have to verify that claim, and, and that's just about a pair of shoes. I mean, imagine when it comes to the state of your soul eternally. It seems like that would be uh, something that you want to get right. Well, um, here's my short main idea for you. Oh, is, what happened there? Oh, there we go. Hang on a second. That's our passage. Here's my short main idea. Real short. Jesus is real. That might not seem all that profound or like a lot of time was put into that, but um, Jesus is real, my friend. Jesus is real. Um, I can tell you the longer I'm in this book, the more sure I am that Jesus is real. Um, and, you, and you've heard me say before, you're not going to meet a bigger skeptic than me. 
Um, I'm from Chicago, and uh, people in Chicago hate fake things, and we're always asking, but is that real? But is that real? But is that real? But is that real? I'm telling you, Jesus is real. Um, it is what I've committed my life to proclaiming. Uh, it is what I've re- uh, banked my soul on, and it's the purpose of your life too, uh, proclaiming this truth that Jesus is real. You know, we were made to worship God, um, and then sin ruined that. Jesus makes it possible again by making us right in standing with God that we're given his righteousness, we're forgiven. He paid the sin debt on the cross. He makes us right again with God. And, uh, you know, we were eternally cut off from his grace, but uh, not anymore. Why? Because Jesus is real. Salvation is real. The work of God is real. And that's just not some dopey um, music-y Bible teacher's opinion. Jesus is real. So let's go to our first point, which is this, what Jesus means to say about himself. Look at verse 30. I and the Father are one. Now, that is a short but brimming statement. And when I say brimming, I mean it's, it's full of meaning and impact. And uh, remember the response to it. In case you wonder if they, they got what he meant by that, they did. Verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. They get the grand implications of what Jesus is saying here. Now, remember that the religious leadership, the Jewish religious leadership in Jesus' day, in his time, in his earthly ministry, they were looking for um, a legal pretext uh, with which to murder him. They were trying to find a way to say, this guy's so bad that we just need to go ahead and take him out and feel okay about it. And we'll explore that um, more in just a second. But when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, there's no doubt. They heard that and they went, ah, that's the legal pretext we've been looking for. He said, I and the Father are one. They go right to the stones to pick it up, to pick him up and, and kind of hopefully rally the people with them and take out Jesus. They, they were confident that they had uh, the thing that they needed to take care of Jesus. Um, well, why is that short statement by Jesus, I and the Father are one, such a potent trigger unto murder by, by the clergy? Why, why is that so potent for him to say that? Well, first of all, throughout John's recorded earthly ministry of Jesus, he has uh, recorded Jesus' uh, lucid uh, declarations of being on a mission and sent by the Father over and over and over again. Um, Chapter 523, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus is on a mission. He knows it. He was sent. He keeps he's stating that. Um, uh, chapter 537, and the Father who sent me. Again, Jesus on a mission. He was sent. Uh, how about this? John 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. He sent Jesus. Um, In other words, Jesus is saying, I am God's emissary. I'm the emissary of the Father. In chapter 4, verse 34, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. No confusion. No Jesus Christ superstar. Uh, No uh, Alexandria uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez caught up in a movement. Oh, wow, I was a bartender. Now I'm this person uh, in the limelight. No, Jesus came to earth with, with, on a mission. He was sent by God. He talks about it over and over and over again. In fact, in verse 36 of our passage, he says, You say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming. 
Do you really say that? If the Father consecrated me, Jesus, and sent me, Jesus, do you then say I'm blaspheming? No. Um, what does consecrated mean? It's kind of like if you're packing for a trip, and uh, it's a, a day or two before the trip. I don't know. Uh, you know, my wife uh, makes a list. She's got a list of all the clothes she's going to wear on these various days, and she's all very organized and everything. I'm kind of like uh, last minute, you know, two pair of cargo shorts and some flip-flops, you know, in the suitcase, and I hope I have everything. But uh, she's real organized. She lays it all out, and uh, that's, she's consecrating things to go on a trip. She's consecrating them. She's setting them apart for a certain purpose. How about cooking? Uh, if you like to cook in here, um, there's a thing called a mise en place. You know what a mise en place is? It's when you, uh, you uh, chop up all your stuff, and you put the carrots in a little bowl, and you chop up some other stuff, and you put the celery in a little bowl, and you chop up some stuff, and you have the bacon bits in another bowl. Um, and when the stove is hot, in they go. Most of cooking is consecrating things and setting them apart. And I know you do that too, don't you? I remember from a long time ago. Don't you do that? I knew you did. Um, I remember that from years ago. I used this like years and years ago. You are very old and you've been here a long time. But, um, <laughs> or how about painting? You have a painting project. Well, if you have a painting project, you're, you're, you're consecrating some things. You're getting that blue tape. You're getting a thing. You're getting a drop cloth. You're getting some stuff, the roller. Uh-uh. There are certain things you need for the task, so you consecrate them. And that is precisely what Jesus is saying about himself. He is saying that I was consecrated by the Father. I was set aside to carry out a specific work, a mission um, on which I am sent. So when Jesus says in verse 30, I and the Father are one, part of what he means, and well, there's more, but part of what he means is I was sent by the Father, I am saying the words of the Father, I am doing the work of the Father, I am accomplishing the will of the Father, the Father is doing things in and through Jesus. You know, another meaning included in that statement, I and the Father are one, is in regard to the desire to uh, do things. Um, In other words, Jesus' will and the Father's will are the same will. There's no, uh, well, we had a meeting and I disagree, but I'll carry it out anyway. It is uh, precisely in unity um, that Jesus moves. Um, He not only carries out the will of the Father, but he, he desires the will of the Father. When he says, I and the Father are one, that's part of the meaning. You know, we sing a song, in fact, we're going to do it next week, uh, Hope of the World. You know, we sing that word, hope of the world, hope of the world, hope of the world, hope of the world. We sing that here. And one of the lines, one of the, one of the verses says this, hope of the world, O Christ, the God of heaven, through whom the world and everything was made. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Hey, uh, where, where do you think that comes from? Uh, chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All right, so that's, 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 how, you, that's how you sing a, a, a praise song. It's not, I feel this, I feel this, I feel this. It's, um, hey, everything was made through Jesus. So we say, hope of the world, O Christ, the God of heaven, through whom the world and everything was made. And the next couple lines go like this. One, O-N-E, one with the Father... And the Holy Spirit in perfect unity and love and aim. That's the way you think about God. That's the way you think about the Trinity. In perfect unity and love and aim. Jesus wants what God wants. It's the same aim. And, you know, notice how Jesus puts it, too. 
in, um, um, in verse 28. He says, uh, I give them, as we looked at this last week, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so there's no confusion. He adds this. He punctuates it with this. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And it's at that point that he says, I and the Father are one. He's saying we're carrying out the same mission. We want the same thing. We have the same will. So another facet of what Jesus was saying um, by I and the Father are one is that we are in accord, right? So he's carrying out the will and work of the Father, but he desires the will of the Father too. It's the same, it's the same aim, all right? Here's the third and I think perhaps most important um, uh, part of what Jesus means when he says, I and the Father are one. Um, he is, um, and by the way, this is, this, is often, uh, this is often dismissed. It's not really, um, it's not really covered well in commentaries, I don't think. Um, but I think Jesus is referring to his own divinity here. I and the Father are one. I think he's talking about his nature as God. Um, and, you know, this is from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, it says, um, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance, so that the two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion. Uh, That's pretty uh, heady talk, isn't it? Um, By the way, if you like, I got another book about this thick with all the Bible verses that back up everything that's in here. Um, Pretty pretty awesome. But my, my point is this. Um, you notice that, that, that the Westminster Confession uses the word substance when it talks about Jesus being um, the, the, uh, uh, like the Father. Substance is the word. And, you know, that's kind of a debated word. Like if you take seminary classes, they, they're, they're like, eh, we're not really sure. I mean, it's cool the Westminster Confession says substance, but is substance really the right word or is essence a better word? Uh, is Jesus of the same essence uh, as God the Father, and then other people don't really like essence that much. In fact, I had one uh, professor who um, said that the most accurate word to describe Jesus being like the Father is the word stuff, which I thought that was kind of cool. Seminary professor saying Jesus is of the same stuff as God the Father and is of the same stuff as God the Holy Spirit. And so it's not so much a matter of of outward cooperation and operation as it is a matter of inward stuff. Um, in fact, hang on a second. Um, yeah, when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, this is kind of a cool thing. Um, you know, when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7, um, you know, one of the things he says that's commonly known known as this, he says, um, uh, he's talking about the lilies of the field. You know, why are you anxious? Why are you worried? Why are you worried? You worried about what you're going to eat? You worried about what you're going to wear? Why are you so anxious? You don't like your countertops in the kitchen? Why are you so anxious? Um, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, when Jesus says one of these, he's using a, 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 a word, and it's the same word here. I and the Father are, are one to, to explain flowers of the field. They're, they're, they're flowers, but that's one flower and another flower and another. And, flower, and it, what about birds of the air? God takes care of the birds of the air, individual little birds. He takes care of all the birds, but he takes care of these individual little birds. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, um, it, it doesn't mean um, we're mushed together and we're an, one amalgam uh, of being. Um, he, he's saying that we're individuals, but we're of the same divine stuff. Not saying that we're a, that we're a hodgepodge, not a... Not a I, even don't even dare to say mutt, but he's, he's not saying that we're mushed together. Um, he's saying, I and the Father are one of the same divine stuff, um, that Jesus also precisely carries out the Father's work as his emissary, that he's in perfect concord with the Father, and that he's of the same stuff, the same essence, uh, the same attributes, sharing the same attributes, and so on. All right. Why does this matter to you? <laughs> I mean, why does it matter to you acutely? How does it apply to your life? Well, how about this? Um, Christ is the Son of God, and Christ being sent by God, carrying out the work of God, um, desiring the will of God, uh, being of the same stuff of God, what does, that, what does that mean for you? It means that Christ's righteousness on our behalf is forever. <laughs> it means that God's plan of salvation wrought through Jesus on the cross on our behalf is forever. It means that our safety, um, our perseverance until the end where we go to be with Christ in glory, our safety in that is forever. As you will sing in big church in just a few minutes, um, more happy but not more secure are the glorified spirits in heaven. Oh, they're happier. You know why? They're not messing around with sin anymore. Sorrow, pain, tears, death. Their, their fight with sin and death is over. They're in heaven. So happier. Yeah, they're happy, but they're not more secure. They're not more secure because you're just as secure in Christ's eternal work. And because Jesus is God means you are eternally safe in his work, that he's carrying out the will of the Father. Sent by the Father means that you're safe. All right. I and the Father are one. All right. Next point, it's hard to refute claims that are backed up. Uh, look at verse 32. Jesus answered them. So they pick up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them, um, I have uh, shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Uh, that's a pretty good uh, little comeback there, isn't it? I've done many good works. Uh, which of the good works are you going to stone me over? Um, and uh, by the way, uh, uh, good works from the Father. So he's carrying out God the Father's will, doing good things and uh, supernatural things uh, for people in hurt and need. That's basically what he's saying. I'm doing supernatural things. You've witnessed them. They're verifiable. And now you're going to stone me. Which are you, for which of those are you going to stone me? You see his point. Only somebody with the authority of God could do the things that Jesus was doing. And you see that they missed the point entirely. In verse 33, they go, 
Um, it's not good. It's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. And you see, they missed the point. They completely missed the point. Jesus is saying only someone who's God could do these things, and they go, hey, yeah, but you're just a man, and uh, that's why we're going to stone you. It's blasphemy. They totally miss what he's saying. And uh, they're, they're suppressing the miracles so as to ignore the claims. Uh, and basically, Jesus is saying, my, my miracles validate my claims. But they suppress that. They don't want to believe it. Um, you know, it's interesting. In the margins of one of my books that I was reading, um, I scribbled just hurriedly, chapter 1, verse 1. And then in another book I was reading, uh, I read about this point on this, on this verse. It cites chapter 1, verse 1. I was like, yeah, that's right. I mean, the way the whole gospel starts, I mean, it's, it's almost like, I, I don't know, there, there's, there's almost a bit of a, when you open up the gospel of John, or the, God's word at, at all, but the gospel of John, there's almost like this hush that falls over your soul. When you read, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I mean, that's how the Gospel of John jumps into play, with the divinity of Jesus at the very cusp. And then everything that happens shows that Jesus is sent by the Father on a mission. I mean, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. There's this holy timbre uh, over the whole thing, um, over the whole discussion. You know, it's, uh, when I was a kid uh, in Chicago, the suburbs of Chicago, um, it would snow, and I, I would love when it would snow. If it, was a kind of a, if it was kind of a dusty snow, I don't know, just a, pretty much any snow, I'd get on my bike and go ride it on my 10-speed, my, my, Schwinn, my Schwinn Continental out in the snow. And you'd think it would slide all over the place. It, it didn't. It didn't. It was new snow. It wasn't compacted. It wasn't icy. And I would go out, and I would just ride and ride and ride in the snow. And, and the acoustics change. You know, everything's got this kind of this muffly, I don't know, it's just the acoustics are different. The whole world's different. And uh, all to say, Jesus' divinity is like that on the Gospel of John. It's almost like the acoustics for the whole thing change. Um, and, and, you know, Jesus and the Bible, and the gospel writers, and Paul, and Peter, and James, and the uh, mysterious writer of Hebrews, whomever that may be, uh, none of them are shy about talking about Jesus' divinity. And my point is that, that that's the spiritual acoustics of, uh, of humanity. Um, and, and, and as an application for our lives, we ought to be carrying that around with us all the time. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm a musical person, and I'm a creative person, and I kind of have this curse that follows me around, which is a song will worm its way into my head for three days. Does that happen to you? It's, it's about three days. And I mean, I'm telling you, it's in my head all the time, like just all the time. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's obnoxious. It's some, you know, love in you easy, get out of my head, you know, but it'll be in there for three days. I mean, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and it's playing and uh, I, you know, I, I go to a business meeting and it, or not a church meeting and it's playing and, um, you know, it just kind of, it just kind of curses me. Anyway, on the, on the happy side of things, the divinity of Jesus ought to be playing in our heads all the time. It ought to be our song that this Jesus was sent on a mission from the father and the mission was to save me. He is God, and God deigned to save 
me. Um, now, the, the Bible here, look, look at it. I, I, there, there's, some, there's some tricky stuff in here that you're going to look at and go, ee, ee, what in the world is all, all this meant? The Jews answered Jesus in verse 33, not for a good work they're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, you're just a man, that's all you are, you're just a man, you make yourself God. Well, Jesus answers them, and this is, this is tricky to navigate a little bit. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said you are gods with a small g. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I'm a son of God. Now, what Jesus is doing is um, he, he's, he's quoting a psalm. In fact, we'll flip there in a second. But, but the Bible speaks, of course, of God with a capital G. There is one. God, there is one. Um, Exodus 8.10, there is none like unto the Lord our God. There's one God, okay? So when the Bible speaks of God with a capital G, that's what it means, the real God. What Jesus is doing is quoting the Old Testament to him, and the reason he's doing that is the Bible also speaks of gods with a small g, doesn't it? Gods with a small g are idols, and they don't have to be hand-carved totem poles or anything weird like that. They can be the stuff in your life um, that uh, you think about all the time. In fact, you've heard me say this before, um, Jim Imhoff original quote, if you wake up thinking about it and you go to bed thinking about it, you probably have identified your God. Pretty convicting, isn't it? Um, so there are gods with a small g that the Bible makes reference to. But did you know that the Bible also makes a reference to, it, 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 it uses the word gods with a small g um, this way. Uh, flip, if you would, to uh, Psalm 82. Psalm 82. And um, I'll read this to you. I'll settle your heart, and we'll take care of the Mormons all in one, bit, one, one sweep. Um, uh, Psalm 82, verse 6. I said, you are gods, with a small g, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Now, the Mormons go, aha, see? We're like gods. And that's a verse that they use to support that. We're like gods. See, it says it right there. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die, and so on. See? Okay, that supports, uh, that supports what we believe, that, we're, that, that human beings who are the, the, the special ones uh, become gods. That is not what this is saying. If anything, I mean, this is Asaph writing, and it's, a, it's an indictment against the, um, the terrible uh, religious leadership of Israel. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a slap. Uh, it's about unjust judges in Israel, uh, the idea that they had cast themselves in this high light in the eyes of the people. It's a chastisement. It's saying, oh, yeah, you guys... You love to think that you're way up there and you put yourself up there as gods with a small g. I mean, really, as high as human beings can get. Uh, that's what you like to do. And yet you're unjust judges. And it's an indictment against them. It's not a support for, oh, we're all going to become gods one day. I mean, preposterous is that uh, interpretation of that. It's a chastisement. But the point is, Jesus cites that. And basically, he's... he's, he's very easily, just kind of treating them like a mosquito, like, Bink! that's what I think of your objection. Uh, you're saying, oh, hey, you're just a man? Well, guess what? You don't even know your own scriptures. 
If I wanted to make a little point like that, I could, I could point to that and, and be completely off the hook in your eyes. That's what Jesus is doing to them, all right? But there's one more really cool thing. Um, he, he's, he's basically saying, uh, you've had bad gods. Uh, I'm the, the real thing. And um, uh, oh, what did I want to show you? It'll, it'll come to me in a second. Oh, yeah, 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 this. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Hey, um, so check this out. This is uh, in one of the commentaries I was reading. Uh, application for your life, okay? Here's an application. There is never enough evidence for one who is determined to withhold his faith. And that, that's the problem with the Jewish leadership. They kept going, well, show us more. Show us more, Jesus. Show us more. Show us more. Show us more. And I'll believe. Show us more, and I'll believe. You know, close the deal. Close the deal. Um, and God is saying, no, you have to, you're going to have to believe. You're going to ex- have to exercise faith. You're going to you're gonna have to believe that some things about the divine are mysterious, about the Savior are mysterious. You're just going to have to believe, all right? Uh, to believe in Jesus is to accept the indictment against the soul, and that's pretty hard to do, all right? Here's your Bible bonus. In verse 35, oh, yeah, and I even put it up here. Hang on a second. Bible bonus. Get a Bible bonus. Look at verse 35. I mean, it's so cool. Jesus just slips it in there. You know, he's, he's, he's deflecting their point in verse 35. He says, hey, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, uh, you know, remember what he was saying in, this, in that psalm? And scripture could not be broken. Do you save him who the Father consecrated and sent your blasphemy? All right, but in that, in that, in that middle of those, those hyphens, and scripture could not be broken, in one little burst, what has Jesus just done? He's validated the entire Old Testament. Is that not cool? He cites a psalm, and he validates the entire Old Testament. He says, if, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, he's, saying, he's, he's lumping it all together. Um, it, it's, it's, it's just awesome. Um, he's saying, you know, the prophets and, you know, everything that uh, you guys know, you religious leaders know, everything, you know what the Septuagint is? Uh, it's uh, the Hebrew Bible translated into New Testament Greek, which is the version that Paul was using, all right? Everything that you guys got, the closed canon of the Old Testament, it's Scripture, and Scripture cannot be broken. He says it broadly, and in one little, in one little swoop, in one little hyphenated phrase, uh, he validates the entire uh, Old Testament. Pretty awesome. All right, let's close up with this last thing. Prepare the way of the Lord. This means you. Look at verse 40. Uh, so, yeah, he, um, he escapes from them. Um, uh, he talks about doing the works of the Father, and they don't believe him. It's not enough for him, and, and uh, he's shown them enough, and, and they want to reject him. And so in verse 40, it says, He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Isn't that kind of cool? Where his earthly ministry started... He ends up again. And uh, it says in verse 41, and many came to him and they said, hmm, John the Baptist did no sign, no miracles, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Is that something? And it's almost like verses 40 and 41 and 42 are this, this sweet little oasis in the middle of this, this deep theology, he goes back to where his earthly ministry started, and people start going, hey, I remember this place, and I remember the forerunner, 
I remember who prepared the way of the Lord. It was, it was John the Baptist, and he said, you know, behold the Lamb of the world, who take, uh, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They're putting all that together, and they're like, you know what? John the Baptist never did a miracle, but everything he said about this guy has come true. And it says that many believed in him there. Now, why does this matter to you? Well, um, you can't do miracles, can you? But you can say true things about Jesus. You can say it with your words. You can say it with your life. You can be at the ready all the time. I mean, to have your radar up all the time. You know, um, there's a real kind of a be nice theology that's, that's prevalent in our culture. It's been around for 15 years. Um, all the 35-year-olds and 37-year-olds, that's, that's where they are. Uh, they grew up with a be nice theology. You know, don't use a sharp tone. Uh, what good do I see? What good do I see? What good shall I do this day? You know, it's just be nice theology. Don't be abrupt. Don't be a big jerk. Don't be a loud mouth. Uh, just stay out of my business. And if we just do that, everything's peaceable. It's not talk, that Christianity's not that. It's not that we just walk around and be nice to, to, for the sake of being nice, because if we all pitch in, the world's a better place. Why are we nice? Because we're obedient. Why are we loving? Because our Father is loving. Our Savior is loving. Why, we, why do we care about the world? Because we're emissaries too. We've been sent on a mission by our Savior. We're salt and light in this world. And so we're just not nice to be nice, and we wave people along in traffic, and we're nice at the checkout line, and, and we help our neighbor and stuff like that. We're nice, we're sweet, we're loving because we're obedient, and because we want a platform for some kind of a relationship that opens up at some point where somebody goes, hey, I'm going through a really hard time, uh, what, why are you so hopeful? Or if, if you see somebody going through a hard thing, and you say, hey, listen, I'm not trying to intrude, uh, but is there something I can pray over? Can, is there something for which I can pray? What, is there something in your life that I should, I should pray about in my, in my private prayer? See what that does. See what that does. Why are we doing all that? Well, it's because of this. We say the true things about Jesus. We can't do miracles, but we can say the true things, and you know, it dawns on people. You know what? What that person says seems to be true. God uses that. All right, I close with this. Jesus is real. I told you, I'm a skeptic. Um, the more I'm in this book, the more I'm confident in this book, the more continuity I see in this book. Um, I don't look at it and go, oh, shoot. I don't dare tell them, but I'm really troubled about this thing here. Ooh, that's really, that's really got me in a quandary. That doesn't happen to me. The longer I'm in this book, the, more, the longer I handle it, the more I love it and care about it and care for it and, and, and say it to people, the more I'm confident in it. The Bible is real. Jesus is real. Salvation is real. Uh, safety is real. God's presence is real. And friend, heaven is real. Lord Jesus, we gladly bank everything on you, everything our soul needs to trust in, uh, everything 
uh, for a right standing before a God who is holy, holy, holy. We believe in you because you're real. Uh, we believe that you were sent by the Father. We believe that you are of the same stuff as the Father, that you have the same will as the Father, that you carry out the work of the Father, and that that work is a saving one, uh, not for um, a, a band of, uh, of, of uh, a nameless pool, but um, for those the Father gave you, as you say again and again. So um, bless us, Lord. Draw us into deeper fellowship with you. Uh, show us the beauty of your word and, and show our souls this week, Lord, the simple message that you and the Father are one, that you, Lord Jesus, are the real thing. We pray.